0: It's 1985 in Soviet Russia. Mikhail Gorbachev is the head of the Communist Party, and his great opening to the West, Glasnost and Perestroika, is still just a glimmer in his eye. 1985 was still the time of that old Soviet Union, the one with defections and the KGB. And into this world stepped the most unlikely of people, four members of a klezmer ensemble from Boston. Klezmer is a kind of Jewish folk music.
1: It's secular music, and if you've heard Fiddler on the Roof, it's kind of in that style, but more authentic.
0: Meryl Goldberg is a professor of music at Cal State San Marcos, and that's her on the saxophone. But back in the day, she was part of a pretty famous Klezmer ensemble called the Klezmer Conservatory Band. And they had heard about a group in the Soviet Union that went by a very intriguing name, the Phantom Orchestra.
1: So we first heard of the Phantom Orchestra through the network of people who were working in the 80s, trying to help people escape from the Soviet Union.
0: They were musicians like them. We started thinking, we ought to find out about these people. These musicians were known as refuseniks because they wanted to leave the Soviet Union, but the authorities refused to give them permission. They were called the Phantom
1: Orchestra because they really were had to play somewhat in secret, right? So if they had gone out and decided, oh, we're going to play in the park, they would have been picked up and arrested. Most of them had already been either imprisoned or beat up or had a lot of issues already.
0: They'd gotten fired from their jobs, drummed out of academic and professional associations, and would even get beaten up, just for declaring openly that they wanted to immigrate. So when the opportunity of actually going to the Soviet Union presented itself, it all struck a chord with Merrill and her friends in the Klezmer Group.
1: My friend Hank netsky who is a, a wonderful musician and teaches at New England Conservatory of Music, where I was a student. And he approached her with this crazy idea. The actual ask was to go over to the Soviet Union in secret, essentially, and meet with refuseniks, mostly, you know, focus in on the Phantom Orchestra members and to find out information about what they were doing, who they were, how uh, they wanted their stories to get out.
0: They were four simple musicians from Boston. A saxophonist, a singer, a guitarist, an accordion player. And they were going to go toe-to-toe with one of the world's largest secret police forces. So when
1: he asked me, oh, my first reaction, I I think, was, that sounds crazy cool. I'm in.
0: I'm Dina Temple-Raston, and this is Click Here, a podcast about all things cyber and intelligence today, at a time when Russian President Vladimir Putin is attempting to redraw the Iron Curtain, we're going to take you back behind it with a story about a very different kind of code than the zeros and ones we usually talk about. This code was made of music, and it was used to smuggle distant messages in and out of the Soviet Union. I remember thinking,
1: we're we're musicians. Just creating a code in music would be the easiest way to go about this.
0: Merrill will play us
2: out. If you're looking for a daily guide to cybersecurity news and policy, sign up for the Cyber Daily from Recorded Future News. It serves up the day's most interesting and important cyber stories from our sister publication, The Record, and then aggregates all of the big cyber stories you might have missed from news outlets around the world. Just go to the record.media and click on Cyber Daily to get all you need to know about the world of cybersecurity right in your inbox. Hello,
3: I'm Adam Fleming from the Global Story podcast from the BBC World Service. We are looking at Lena Khan, the face of the US government's battle to regulate big tech. She's already redefined the way we talk about monopolies. Now she's taking on the likes of Amazon and Meta. But who is she? And will she win? The Global Story brings you fresh takes and smart perspectives from BBC journalists around the world. Find us wherever you get your BBC podcasts.
0: It's no small thing deciding to travel to the Soviet Union in the 1980s to secretly help people escape, even if you were a trained spy, much less a musician from Boston. And you'd think their professions might actually be a liability, but in a weird way, it became a strength. It was the perfect cover story, an innocent-looking cultural exchange. We're just some American musicians trying to bridge the cultural divide.
1: In the 80s at that time, the more publicity a Ruschusnik or dissident had, the more protection they would have from being imprisoned or beaten up or whatever would happen to them. But if the West knew about them, they had a better shot at getting out.
0: So... Coding music to sneak out messages and details about people who are trying to escape wasn't a completely new idea. Meryl and her friends had a model, Josephine Baker. That's Baker singing. She was a Paris celebrity, a singer, a dancer, a bon vivant in the 1920s, 30s, and 40s. She was famous for walking her pet cheetah down the Champs-Élysées, And she also happened to be working for the French resistance. She'd sing at parties, chat up important people, and then pass along what she'd learned to the Allies. Her dispatches were the stuff of legend. She'd learn details about German troop movements or supply lines, and then smuggle the information out to the Allies by writing messages in invisible ink. She wrote on sheet music between the notes. In the 1980s, when Merrill was trying to work out how to bring coded messages into the Soviet Union, she went a step further. Her code was embedded in the music itself. I studied music in school, so I assumed she must have created something from the staff. Those five lines and four spaces that are the basis of musical notation are represented by letters. The five lines are E, G, B, D, and F. And the four spaces represent the notes F A C E. Except that wouldn't get you the whole alphabet.
1: You know, with the regular notes, you only have A through G. So then you have the problem of 26 letters with, you know, only eight notes. Although, what I did without giving it away was I created a situation
0: using chromatics. Chromatics, the 12 half steps when you play the black and white keys on a piano.
1: And using different notes, figured out all twenty-six. I had three leftover ones, like X, Y, Z. But you don't use X, Y, Z all that much. So if someone knew music, they'd
0: look at it and they'd think, "Huh, that's modern music." Is there anything that you have that you coded that you might be able to play for us, so that we have some idea of what what that would sound like? Yeah, sure. So Meryl picks up her saxophone. Here, I'll
3: I'll
1: uh, play a little bit for you.
0: Believe it or not, there's actually the name of a dissident coded in those notes.
1: This one was intro to a new person that they wanted us to meet who was a musician. And it was for
0: someone in Moscow. Marilyn Hankis and the other members of the Klezmer band spent months preparing for the trip was more than just inventing a new way to code messages, though they did that too. The people at the Action for Soviet Jewelry gave them a crash course in tradecraft.
1: We had to have uh, several months of kind of a learning curve and figuring out
0: how we would go in without giving up who we were. And it didn't take long to put all that to use. In fact, the group needed it as soon as they landed.
1: So we land in Moscow. And we get off the plane.
0: People are talking in
1: little <laughs> uh, little microphones, and we think, uh-oh.
0: Uh-oh, because the authorities seem to have been expecting them.
4: There were at least two of them, and they took us aside. That's Hank Netsky, the teacher who brought up this whole idea to Merrill. And they told us to get our luggage, but not go anywhere, to bring the luggage into the, I guess, interrogation room.
1: Definitely, we were flagged. There's no question about it.
4: And sit with an agent.
1: They start going through everything, and I mean absolutely everything, opening up every single thing we have.
0: Including Meryl's music. They're going
1: page by
0: page by page. She held her breath, kept her gaze, and then, after what seemed like an eternity...
1: They just hand it right back to me. Oh, it was just really fantastic.
0: It was seven
4: hours before they were permitted to leave the airport.
0: There was one guy
4: who spoke only in Russian and banged his fist on the table the entire time.
0: When they were finally allowed to go, they had this sense that while the first hurdle was behind them, what lay ahead would be much harder. The Phantom Orchestra was based in Tbilisi, Georgia, which was still a Soviet republic at the time. The mission Merrill and Hankis and their friends had chosen to accept involved trying to meet up with four of its members. Two were from a well-known family of Jewish dissidents, Grigori and Isai Goldstein, and the other two were calling for Georgian independence, Tengiz and Eduard Gudava, both of whom had been sentenced to years of hard labor for their activism. All four were considered enemies of the state, which meant they were definitely being watched and their phones were tapped so it would be tricky for Merrill and her crew to make contact with them.
1: I had the directions to their apartment actually encoded in my music, and that's how we remembered how to get there. I'm sure we stuck out. And we didn't know who to trust,
0: who not to trust. What they did know was that someone was following them.
4: We noticed, for example, that we would walk up the street and the last car on the block would flash its lights, And then we'd cross the street, and then the first car on the next block would flash its lights. And then the same thing would happen on the next block. So (laughs) it sure seemed like there was something going on. So I remember we went to our hotel room, and interestingly enough, the sink was leaking. And they said as much out loud, that it was too bad the sink was leaking. And then when we got back from dinner, the sink was fixed. (laughs) So that's how closely we were being monitored.
0: Marilyn Hankis and the two other Klesmer band members, Jeff and Rosalie, found themselves in the middle of a Cold War thriller. They'd go to ballet and museums one day, hoping to throw the authorities off the scent, and then rush off to go and meet dissidents the next, hoping their basic tradecraft wouldn't put their contacts in danger.
1: We devised in our young brains, which now seems kind of cuckoo, that All of us would get on the subway because we had to take a subway to get to the Goldstein's apartment first to make contact.
0: The apartment was in Tbilisi, Georgia, and the directions to get there were buried in their musical notation code.
1: They didn't have a telephone. We couldn't call them. We had to just
0: try to find them. So to lose whoever was following them, they came up with what they thought was an ingenious plan.
1: And so we're all going to get on the subway, and then we're all going to get off, and
0: Rosalie and I are going to jump back on. Then the tail would have to choose between the two groups. And we thought it worked. They spent hours walking around buildings and doubling back and climbing darkened stairwells until finally they find themselves at the door of an apartment, and they knock.
4: And... Esai Goldstein opened the door, and... The Goldsteins were the first family that we visited.
1: First thing we say is we think we've outwitted them, but you know, we've been interrogated. Tell us if you want us just to turn around and go away.
4: Gregory Goldstein walks over to the window. There were four cars he pointed to. He said, these are all KGB.
1: And they laughed at us like, of course you're being followed. And please come in because it's way more important for you to come in. We need you to visit. We need you to tell our story.
0: When we come back, a secret concert with a phantom orchestra.
1: Probably the most profound music-making I have
5: ever in my entire life made. Politics has never been stranger, or more online. Which is why the politics team at Wired is making a new show, Wired Politics Lab. It's all about how to navigate the endless stream of news and information and what to look out for. Each week on the show, we'll dig into far-right platforms, AI chatbots, influencer campaigns, and so much more. Wired Politics Lab launches Thursday, April 11th. Follow the show wherever you get your podcasts.
0: The Phantom Orchestra, of course, couldn't play openly in a concert hall. I thought they'd be playing in some secret venue after hours. But they actually had their concerts in an apartment, the Gudava's apartment.
1: Typical small apartment. They had an upright piano and a
0: couple music stands, and the Godavas had at least one guitar, maybe two. The musicians gathered along with an audience of neighbors.
4: The chairs went into the other room, I remember, and and the idea was, hey, look, we have visitors, they're musicians. It's time for the Phantom Orchestra to come meet and play a concert.
0: In the room, there was a palpable mix of excitement and a little fear. It wasn't about playing music with the phantom orchestra that frightened them. They were all pros at that. It was about what might follow, the consequences of an impromptu concert with a room full of dissidents.
1: And I think making music in and of itself is not such a big deal. Of course, it was the people who they were making
0: music with that made it into a really big deal. Were you waiting for the KGB to burst in any moment? What was going through your 26-year-old head? <laughs> My 26-year-old head was like living in the moment, I will tell you that. Marilyn and remembered remember the whole evening as if it were yesterday.
1: I re- do remember just being transported, that it was this feeling perhaps of amazement, of relief, of immediate camaraderie.
0: There was klezmer music. and traditional songs. And then this moment when everything seemed to come together with the standard that everyone loved. Everyone who was there, the members of the orchestra, the visiting musicians, the audience, they all broke into song. What you're hearing now is actually a Phantom Orchestra recording.
1: It touched us in a way that... I hadn't been touched before, and I think because the whole feeling of the song, somewhere over the rainbow, and the
0: hope in that. And for an evening, the Soviet minders, the cloak and dagger, the coded messages, they all faded away, and the music became all there was.
1: For the people there who had so much courage um, and you know were constantly battling you know whatever was going to happen to them for their activism, playing music was the time when in their brains they could be totally
4: 100% free. There was a lot of emotion when we played with the Phantom Orchestra, not just from them, but from the audience. And we were really floating when we left that room that night.
0: As they went back out into the night, they tried to recall all the details that they would later code into their music, what they would eventually tell the world was going on behind the Iron Curtain. A marriage announcement here, a family history there, and the hope was once the world knew they existed they'd have the leverage they needed to force officials in the Soviet Union to let them go.
1: And I think that's part of what the goal of many of the folks was, is, you know, if your story is never told, it's like it hasn't happened. So it was really important to get stories out there. Um, It means you exist, and uh, other people
0: know you exist. As they left the Gudava's house that night, Meryl and her friends were more than just musicians. They were messengers and now they just had to get home not long after the secret concert the boston musicians awoke to an early morning call at the hotel
1: we were told to be down in the office at you know whatever time it was pretty early and they hand us a baggie they
0: were the soviet authorities
1: with a tea bag and a hard boiled egg and a piece of salami i think and maybe some crackers and They keep us very separated from
0: everybody else. Their minders made clear they knew that Merrill and Hankus and the others had met with the Phantom Orchestra, and they weren't happy about it. They took their passports, put them into cars, and just started driving.
1: And then they drove us for what seemed to be like hours and hours. And I thought, oh man, now they're
0: really going to do it. They're going to lock us up. Hours later, they ended up at the airport. And while they didn't end up in a Soviet prison, they were told they were going to be thrown out of the country, deported. But before they could go, there would be one more search. Though this time, the four actually had even more to hide. Not just the names and addresses of contacts, but now they had their stories and messages for the West. I remember being surrounded by
1: military. And they go through all of our stuff again. And uh, again, they went through every single page of my music. And eventually... Handed it right back.
0: The stories they smuggled out went very public once they returned to the States. There were speeches and congressional hearings and calls to help the Goldsteins and Gudavas and other refuseniks who wanted to leave the Soviet Union. Remember, the purpose of their trip was to draw world attention to the human rights situation in the Soviet Union. And it worked. The following year, the Goldsteins were allowed to immigrate to Israel, and while the Gudavas were initially jailed after the concert, accused of taking part in treasonous activity and blamed for the hearings that took place on Capitol Hill, the two were finally released in April 1987 on the condition that they'd leave the Soviet Union. They arrived in Boston that September. The crazy thing is, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Tens of thousands of Jews have left Russia since Putin's invasion of Ukraine earlier this year. And now, Moscow is moving to close a non-profit organization that helps them emigrate to Israel. It's called the Jewish Agency for Israel, and it's operated in Russia since 1989. This is Click Here. Five, one, four. So there are lots of hands-on projects at DEFCON, the hacker conference held this year at Caesars Forum. They have these little villages of hackers working on things that, well, naturally interest hackers, like breaking into voting machines or hacking into a Tesla. But my favorite activity was probably this one.
5: So my name, my my handle is Lunchbox, and it's DEFCON, so that's all I'm gonna say.
0: And she wanted to do something that included the rest of us, the mere mortals, the non-hackers.
5: DEFCON over the years has gotten really big. And it's grown and it's very intimidating for newcomers, people that are new to the industry, thinking about getting in the industry. So we wanted to make a competition that had no barrier of entry.
0: And what she came up with? A tinfoil hat competition. You know, the kind of thing that blocks the alien transmissions that come through the fillings in your teeth.
5: This is a tongue in cheek contest, right? You know, we make fun a lot of, you know, Alien mind control rays and CIA lizard people. It's really all about fun. I mean, there is science to it. There is a receiver. There is transmitters. But then it's also about style.
0: You get three sheets of tinfoil and all the time you need.
5: So we have a mannequin, misinformation, and she has a receiver in her head.
0: Just to be clear, the mannequin is just a head. Like one of those heads you see in hair salons,
5: and we have transmitters in this room, and the goal is to try to build a tinfoil hat that attenuates or blocks those signals the best from getting into her noggin.
0: There's a big flat screen behind her that actually measures how much the tinfoil hat is blocking the signals that they're transmitting around the room. A woman next to me is fitting a hat to her boyfriend's head.
5: Make a hat, make a. Hat.
0: He gives her a big smile and says, hey, the voice has just stopped. And we all laugh.
4: I come in from the Middle East. This is my first DEF CON. I'm a student at a business university.
5: This is my uh, (laughs) brother-in-law. Yeah. I work IT. I'm trying to convince him into a computer science degree in cybersecurity.
4: (laughs) And here I am, making tinfoil hats. My tinfoil head's just like, you know, traditional um, Middle Eastern headwear. Oh, God, it's really hard to make without tape. <laughs>
5: All right, come on up. May I have a handle?
4: My handle. Uh XX. <laughs> he
0: places his Middle Eastern tinfoil headwear on the mannequin head.
5: <laughs> All right, you ready? Hands off. Oh, my gosh. Yas. 308. That's that's your, that's your rank. Out of what? Uh, I'm not for sure. I think I've seen like 350 right today.
4: Okay, 308. (laughs) Uh, We'll take it.
5: (laughs) We've had somebody make the entire alien predator helmet. Uh, Somebody made the entire James Webb telescope one year. We've had warrior helmets. We've had all kinds of just amazing entries.
0: Greetings, I'm Boku. We give Boku a click here sticker and she agrees to talk. We ask her where she's from.
5: Uh, you wouldn't have heard of my planet.
0: This is DEF CON, so we move on.
5: For the listeners, I'm wearing a flamingo hat from Target covered in tin foil, but the flamingo is also wearing a flamingo hat. So it's like a meta flamingo. I'm, I'm just, I'm a flamingo person. Uh, this is our second year in this competition. Right now we're ranked fourth. Last year we were third. We've improved. We've had uh, extra tinfoil, so I went to the convenience store when I got here and got a whole roll of tinfoil, which I've used. I got tape to hold it in place so it's a little more fashionable. She's the leader in our style category right now, so unless somebody comes in with something pretty massive and and beautiful, we might have a winner.
0: And she was right. Boku did win the DEF CON tinfoil hat style competition. (laughs) There were other winners, too. One for unlimited, think mostly foil, but with creative additions. And then there was the classic, just foil and imagination and an ability to block out unwanted transmissions. No cash prizes, though. After all, this is a place where stickers are actually a kind of currency. But for another year, Boku does have bragging rights. This is Click Here and here are some of the cyber and intelligence headlines from the past week lotus biotechnology development corp announced it will change its name after discovering its stock was part of a pump and dump scheme that involved the hack of more than 30 brokerage accounts The U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, which regulates publicly traded companies, charged more than a dozen people in the scheme, including the founder of the company. The SEC said two overlapping groups of Canadian, U.S., and British citizens were able to generate more than a million dollars in illicit proceeds from the operation. Lloyds of London will require that underwriters exclude state-backed cyber attacks linked to war or catastrophic damages in their regular cyber coverage. The insurance giant said that beginning in the spring of 2023, underwriters must specifically exempt coverage for losses arising from war as well as from state-backed cyber attacks that significantly impair the ability of a state to function. It also says that syndicates have to have a clear system for how to attribute an attack to a state-based actor. The significance of the requirement is that it removes ambiguity in how the war exclusion will be applied going forward. And finally, there's this. three, two, one. I'm sure you heard Janet Jackson's Rhythm Nation appears to have a power no one expected. A bug related to the 1989 hit song has officially been declared a security issue in need of a common vulnerability and exposure tag. It turns out that playing Rhythm Nation, they didn't say how loud, can cause laptops with a particular hard drive to crash. Still listening to us on your computer? Okay. Okay. That means you don't have the 5,400 RPM OEM hard drive circa 2005. If you had, a little rhythm nation causes a denial-of-service malfunction. Who knew Janet was into cyber? (laughs) ¶¶ Click here is a production of the Record by Recorded Future. I'm Dina Temple-Raston, your host, writer, and executive producer. Sean Powers is our senior producer and marketing director, and Will Jarvis is our producer and helps with the writing. Karen Duffin and Lou Olkowski are our editors. Darren Ankrum is our fact checker. Ben Levingston composes our theme, and Kendra Hanna is our intern. A very special thanks to Meryl Goldberg, Hankus Netsky, Rosalie Jarrett, Jeff Warshauer and Phyllis Irwin. They provided every piece of music you heard on our show today. We have a little video of them on the Record News site. And we thought it was only fitting that they send us out with an original composition based on their travels.
3: Those were the days, my friends. We thought they'd never end. We made new friends and ran from KGB. But they caught up with us and sent us home again. As we demanded, let our friends be free. The gold scenes and godavas seem like family. Phantom musicians welcomed the band. Though the KGB gave us a serious warning. Soon enough we left for Yerevan. So much in only 14 days Arriving home Reporters came to greet us As we told our story While still in a haze These are the days Our friends. We hope they never end We sing and dance Forever and today These are the lives We
0: choose We
3: fight and never lose These are the days Oh yes,
0: these are the days We'll be back on Tuesday
3: <laughs> These are the days Oh yes, these are the days
2: Looking for more of the cybersecurity and intelligence coverage you get on Click Here? Then check out our sister publication, The Record, from Recorded Future News. You'll get breaking cyber news from reporters in New York, Washington, London, and Kiev, among others. And you'll see for yourself why it attracts hundreds of thousands of page views every month. Just go to therecord.media.